Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina, from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Show. It is May Long Weekend. And traditionally, yes, that's when we all want to be in our gardens. And as a child, I remember always uh, going out to a little garden center that's no longer here on St. Mary's Road called Tom's Garden Center. So if you've ever been back this way, uh, our parents would put us all in the car. Out we would go to Tom's Garden Center. And I know one of the flowers that we always kind of got was the marigold. It's a beautiful one, and you should see the color combinations because it's not just a regular, ordinary marigold. It has color. It has texture. And there's two different styles. There's African type, which are large, very beautiful pom-pom shapes, to the French style, which are petite. But if you look for ones called strawberry blonde, they go from sort of a reddish tone to a yellow. So not the unusual are not just the plain usual anymore. There's check textures. And thinking of that, think of what you're planting this year and in the garden because it changes. And there are ordinary things and there's the not so ordinary things. So today, what was ordinary? And I thought, why not the potato? Nobody talks about the potato. And I found a cute little poem about the potato. What on this earth that is made or does not nature grow is more homely yet more beautiful than the useful potato? What would this world full of people do, rich and poor, high and low, were it not for this little thought of, but very necessary, potato? True, tis homely to look on, Nothing pretty, and even its blow, but in it will bear acquaintances this useful potato. For when it is cooked and opened, it is so white and mellow, you forget it was ever homely, this useful potato. On the whole, it is a very plain plant, makes no conspicuous show, but the internal appearance is lovely of the ostentatious potato. The useful and the beautiful are not far apart, we know, and thus the beautiful we are glad to have, the homely-looking potato. On the land or on the sea, wherever we may go, we are always glad to welcome the homely potato. A practical and moral lesson, this may plainly show, that though homely, our heart can be like that of the homely potato. Welcome back, everyone. We're listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal, and we are anxious to get into the garden. I hope you're listening to the show before you head outdoors to sort of tickle your fingers into that soil, get it worked up, and get some planting done. I know that years ago, I used to head out to uh, my 
husband's Baba's place, and our first introduction was taking me out to actually Portage La Prairie to meet his grandma, and lo and behold, I didn't know that I was going to be harvesting potatoes and carrots all day, so that was a little bit of a fun stuff. I guess that set the tone after my uh, parents taught me how to water plants and now pulling potatoes. It set the course where I was to go, but we were always kind of taught when to do some planting. When is it? And it usually coincided with always sort of that last full moon. And when they were talking about the last full moon, it was like the phases of the moon. When do we plant? And it's kind of like that lunar gardening phase type. It's the practice of moon planting. And it's usually when you're doing the waxing and waning of it, I think that's the terminology of it, is if it's uh, waxing or waning, it's either the cold ground, which we would be planting our cool crops in, I hope that some of us have got our spinach or beets and some of those other crops into the ground like uh, carrots, potatoes, beets. Those could all go in. And now with the waxing moon, it is the time where things can be planted that usually come above ground. Your tomatoes, your fruits, plants, flowers. But yet we are Manitoba, so we have to be cautious because we always know that there is a risk of frost in the first week of June. I don't think that there is, though, because we are looking at the forecast ahead, and it looks like there's some very good weather ahead. Perfect for timing, for perfect for planting. Now, I'm going to give you a shout-out. Are you listening? Do you want to give me a call? The lines are open. 1-800-374-3315. Now, when we're talking about planting... One of the things I know that we're all eager to get out there and get planting and putting things in, but we have to be cautious too, because there is a little bit of a acclimation or transitioning your plants from your greenhouse to, if you have your little greenhouse, or if you're getting your, going to your favorite haunt of a garden center this weekend, take time to sort of transition those plants. I know here we've been acclimating. The heat went off a while ago, and yes, we've had a couple cool mornings this week that set the tone for climate change in weather. But you also have to remember that the plants, if they're greenhouse grown, even though they're in clear poly above them, there is that transition factor when they now have to go into full sun. And some of you may see this kind of evidence when you take a plant You put it out into the garden, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, a couple days later, there are white markings on your plant's leaves. This is like a sun scald. So slow transition to those sunny locations are okay. A little bit of shading, a little bit is good. And also watch the wind factor. Because if you're getting some plants and they're newly planted in the ground, their roots are not stabilized, they're not anchored in yet, So a lot of our gusty little winds can play a little bit of a havoc on them and cause things to do a little bit of a wilt. So when we plant, we water in well. And if you see plants that are are acting like a little bit of a stress from either the winds or the plant transplant stress that's on there, just be cautious. Don't overwet some things when they're already wet, thinking that the droopy leaves, that they need more moisture. There are so many plants that are overwatered that will succumb to that. Yeah, we don't want to overwater plants. A slightly underwatered plant that has 
a little bit of a wilt will always, always bounce back with a little bit of moisture. It's key, right? Watering is not that simple. You're listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal. It is Victoria weekend, right? The May long weekend. It's the spur to get into the gardens. And it's also a spur to sort of take a look at what is happening, what's in bloom. I know here in the garden center, I spoke a couple weeks ago about some beautiful flowers called forsythia, which stem, the stems are quite bare and they flower beautiful yellow. And lo and behold, we always get a transition of color in the garden. That's why we, when we design and we want to be able to play along with some of the perennials in the trees and the shrubs. We spoke about designing our gardens with some vellum where we have the seasonalities of changes of color. So right now I was kind of enticed. I was working in the water plant section last night. Yes, the water plants have arrived to your garden centers. So you'll you'll be able to sort of see what is there if you have ponds. That's a perfect opportunity for it. But if you're looking outdoors, the Saskatoons are blooming naturally. And lo and behold, in our nursery, beautiful pin cherry trees. Now you're going to go, why a pin cherry tree? Well, pin cherry trees, a little bit native. I remember uh, in our first yard, uh, lo and behold, mom and dad brought me a tree from their farm thinking it was a birch tree. And lo and behold, it was a little young sapling of a pin cherry tree. Beautiful canopy. And yes, the flowers were just gorgeous on it. It produces small little fruits, quite sour when raw, but it makes beautiful preserves, jams, jellies that are in there, that's on it. And most of the times though, when you are sourcing yourself for a fruit tree, just remember a lot of the times uh, when you have light bearing fruit, sometimes the birds, yep, the birds will get to it first. So producing and getting it as at a full mature one, you will be able to see that you'll get more fruit. And really, it's uh, if you're looking for it, a pin cherry tree, we're back in stock. I thought it was really pretty. Uh, it's I think the tops, uh, I think it grows up to maybe 10 meters that are on there. So it's a small ornamental tree. There's a lot of ornamental trees that are out there that are actually coinciding with it. There's also your sour cherry trees that are in there. There's a beautiful one that we're looking at too with the colors and a lot of scents. So if you're looking and pairing for colors or contrasting colors, one of the ones that I truly love is it's a cherry tree called Crimson Passion. Again, white blossoms that are on it. All right. So are you looking at buying additional fruit trees for your yard this year? Because fruit trees I think because of the cost of fruit, a lot of people are starting to look at the capacity of growing their own fruit. And yes, if you didn't know, we can grow cherry trees here. Some of them are sour cherries. Some of them are the pin cherries, small for jams and jellies. All right. And also, why not the sour cherries like Juliet and Romeo that you're going to get a little bit of a cherry aspect on it do a little bit of picking i remember my grandma used to uh, get cherries and actually canned them it was quite a treat when grandma pulled out a can of canned cherries from the basement cellar yes that cellar is dark and old all right now that hasn't even brought me to the aspect of venturing into small fruits and even apple trees apple trees right now Wow. 
And if you think that you have a, you don't have the yard for an apple tree because you're thinking of this huge spance of it. I remember going to my brother's place in Brandon and he had uh, a property that was quite older farm property. And lo and behold, way in the back, sort of a little bit of a knolly area, he had the most gorgeous, gorgeous, I'm talking thick stump trunk of a tree of a pear tree. And the detail and the canopy on this pear tree was just beautiful. You don't need a large area because there are trees that have been uh, produced to give you a form that is for small yards. If you're looking for some small yard trees, uh, look for ones. I know Ruth is there. Hang on, Ruth. There's apple trees that you can get that are in the dwarf form. Goodland is one of them. Uh, I think Parkland also has a series of dwarf apple trees. Uh, Oh, Ah, Prairie Magic, and I know there's a couple more, and probably in the Norland series. So if you're out and about, look for those ones. You might want to put an apple tree in the yard this year. Let's go right to lines. Ruth is there. Good morning, Ruth. Hello. Hello, how are you? Well, I'm a little confused. My lupins came up, but they're not a nice green color. They're sort of a limey even a yellowy sort of tinge to them. They don't look healthy. Can you tell me what's going on with them? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Are they in a a good draining area? Is the soil quickly to drain, quickly to dry? Uh, Yes, when I get the stuff off. Now, they're close to a rose bush, and I did have quite a bit of cover for the rose bush. Okay, so you had it under cover for a fair bit of time, and then you just uncovered recently. Was it when you pulled everything up, like your mulch and all that? Was it already actively growing? No. Okay, because sometimes we get, and I I watch some of the garden sites that are, you know, there's like a few Facebook pages that have uh, questions that, and I'd like to sort of see what's going on with things. Sometimes plants will grow white uh, if they're under cover too long, or if they've been. Uh, don't have enough space and they don't have light. That's how they produce. Just think of white asparagus. Remember when you go to the grocery store and you get green asparagus and you get white asparagus? Well, it's a lack of chlorophyll that can cause lighter uh, colorant of not being in there. The other things that could cause your lupins not to be that bright, bold green is you could be lacking in nutrients in your soil. So nitrogen will help you to green that up. That's in there. So if you're adding a little bit of nitrogen that's on it by fertilizing. Or uh, there is a product called chelated iron, which will help to green up plants too as well. Okay, good. Well, I'll try a little bit of fertilizer first. And if that doesn't help, I'll try the chelated. Is that what you call it? Yeah, it's it's like chemistry. C-H-E-L-A-T-E. Okay. Chelated, chelated or chemist, like it's a like chemistry, CH, right? Or chelate. Tomato, tomato, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. And watch too, because in areas where you have other plants that are a little bit bigger, sometimes are growing faster, but I don't think this is the case right now. They sometimes steal all the nutrients away from certain plants as well. Right. And how, can I ask you how long you've been growing the lupins? I've been 
struggling growing lupins for probably 20 years. Okay. I have, well, I have a friend down the, down the back lane, and her lupins were gorgeous. So, so she would say, well, I'll share. I'll bring them over. Well, the first year they were, and you know the story, gradually they weren't doing very well anymore in my particular garden, whereas a few doors down, hers were gorgeous. Yeah. Well, very frustrating. <laughs> I hear I hear your problems because I have a neighbor down the way. I am you all over again because you've probably heard me say I I have a neighbor that's close by that she grows lupins and I'm totally jealous and I can grow stuff and I put lupins in my backyard and it's like puts nothing. It's I don't know. But lupins naturally if you go I used to have a girl I'm okay, I'm dating myself about 20 years ago. Uh, we were going to sow and seed some lupins. And she's like, why are we sowing lupins? She was from the East Coast. And she's like, they're a weed. They're everywhere. And I'm like, we love them here. So I, I feel, I feel, yes, I feel your frustration. But if you see the detail of a lupin when it is in bloom and you get those, those color tones from deep purple and white and blue and yellow and, and red, you will fall in love with lupins. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, cross my fingers, see if we can get it going. And generally, um, you know, just maybe because they are in the limey side and they're not getting that nutrient because normally lupins like really poor soil, but there's something else that's causing it. So I think maybe adding, uh, maybe I would probably try the chelated iron before I put too much nitrogen. Okay. 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 All right. Nice talking with you, Ruth. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to go right to the lines. Hi, Marion. Hi, Marion. Hello. Hi. 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 You know what? I forgot, I, forgot to, I forgot to ask Ruth where she was calling from, so I'm going to ask you, where are you calling from? Brandon. Well, hello, everyone out in Brandon. That is a, a, my brother is out in Brandon. It's a very cute little city there. Yeah, it's beautiful here today. Yes. How can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? I've got grubs, white grubs in my lawn and in my garden. Oh, ah, okay. Oh, and are they eat, like, is it, are the grubs yeah. just pulling up and lifting oh, the soil? Eat, they're eating everything. I tried the vegetables in the garden and, and they ate them. And now I'm finding that they're even eating other things, like my lilies aren't coming up, and I'm suspecting that they've gone after the lilies. The asparagus didn't grow this year. They're just really bad. Okay. So um, are you digging in around certain things, and you're actually finding the grubs in there? We haven't done that this year, but we have last year, and yes. They were there. Okay. They, They were there. Okay, around some of your crops, you can put diatomaceous earth, which is sort of um, a, a friendlier way of going through it. It's powder, so when they go through it, it causes a detriment to their bodies that are on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a grub control. I think um, I usually say I like to grow it. My business partner, he's a egg guy. He likes to kill, so he likes all the he likes the pesticides and the herbicides. Put it that way. Oh on yeah, that side. <laughs> but, okay. Um, there is, um, there used to be, there's a new product, Bug Out, uh, that you can probably use on it. It's a liquid spray. It used to be called Ambush. And you can use a hose end sprayer and do it as a cast spraying on the lawn. But I okay. would probably do it 
on a day where you've moistened the soil so it brings the grubs closer to the surface that's on it. Okay. And then you do a little bit of a drenching on that. But be okay. diligent if you start to see them. Like I would uh, poke around and see what's in there, you know, uh, and okay. go that way first, okay? So two All options, right. diatomaceous earth or the other one. I have tried the diatomaceous earth uh, in past years, and it didn't seem to really do anything. Okay, but then go the other route. Go see Bernie okay. at the green spot. He'll he'll uh, um, he he should be able to help you there. Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, and you have a okay. great weekend. Okay. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 There are the things we're already talking about planting, and it's interesting as we start talking about planting, we're also talking about the bugs. And one of the other things that I do want to talk about is the apple magnet traps. If you're thinking about doing apple trees or if you have your existing apple trees, that's one thing. I'm just going to give you a little reminder because I want to take as many calls as we can because we've got people lined up here. We're going to talk to Anne next. Hi, Anne. Hello, Carla. Hi. Hi. Last year, a lady called to your show and suggested to put dry onion skin into the hole or row before you put in a particular plant or seeds to prevent disease. Do you recall which those plants or seeds were that she did this for? I think it was tomatoes. Okay. That was tomatoes. Okay. You know what? It's, it's interesting, isn't it, how certain factors and certain elements of, like, I'm talking like not like the fleshy fresh onion it's the skin no. property right that's right right yeah she, she, she put them in her tomatoes quick. okay good enough that answers my question thank okay. you you're very welcome okay, okay. bye-bye bye-bye it is interesting how one plant can remedy another and one of these ones that i'm kind of thinking about when we uh think about these um areas of how one plant can help to remedy another one do you remember, or can something quickly come to mind? I'm going to give you a little test here. Are you all thinking of one annual plant that could help to remedy? We started off the show with it. The marigold. Tajetti marigold. Grandma used to always bank the outside of her uh, garden with marigolds. Mom and Dad loved the marigolds when we put around. And the Tajetti type is one of those ones that, yes, kind of has that property that gives you that protective little barrier. And, right, we want to make sure that we have flowers around our vegetable crops too as well because we need the pollination. So that is a whole story altogether. All right, we have Nadia on the line. Good morning, Nadia. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. And where are you calling from? From Windsor Park, Winnipeg. Windsor Park. Yep. Well, I know exactly where you are. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I wanted to know, uh, my potatoes have long shoots. Can, can I break them off? Like some of them are six in, six to eight inches long. Okay, are the, the shoots coming out of the ground? No, no, they're on the, uh, they're not in the ground yet. Oh, the eyes. Like yeah, the, the eyes. The eyes yeah. are long? Yeah. Um, you can, well, if you snap a little bit of it off, that's basically, it's not going to hurt it, but I would be planting them. Even if they're that long? If you're going through at it, you can pinch them off a little bit or plant them as is. Oh, okay. Okay? Okay, thank you very much. Are you slicing, are you cutting them up into sections to plant? Well, the bigger ones I am, but the smaller ones I'm leaving them whole. Yeah, okay. And it's okay to plant a whole potato too, right? Uh, 
Yeah, if they're small enough. Yeah. For but, sure, but sometimes if you have a bigger one, you might want to have more plants. Okay. Okay? Okay, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're welcome. And can you just think of all the potatoes that are going in? So, And there's so many different types of potatoes. Everything from a fingerling type potato, and you're going to go, what's a fingerling type? Smaller, elongated potatoes in different color tones. So it depends on Yukon Gold or if you're looking at different types of potatoes. It's the flavor. It's the texture. It's a baking, boiling, mashing. Oh, or I I just had thoughts of uh, potato pierogies. I'm sorry. I'm hungry. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to, uh, there was Nadia, so Adrian is on the line. Hi, Adrian. Yes, good morning, Carla. <clears throat> good morning, and where are you calling from? Delarraine. De- I know where you are. T- hey, it's a good day to be calling in. I think we're all anxious to get into our gardens with questions and camarader- com- camaraderie. Okay, a uh, couple questions uh, sure. or statements. Uh, the lady that was talking about not being able to grow lupins, we can grow lupins. I can grow lupins here, but they do like poor soil. Yep. And the original plant will probably only come up one or two, well, maybe three years at the most, and then they will seed themselves, or they'll seed themselves every year. Um, but I find uh, most people... Uh, start digging in their soil and they don't recognize the little seedling that comes up like maybe a foot away from the plant. Very true. You're so true on that. You got it. Yeah. So I, I, people have been envious of my lupins because I seem to be able to grow them, but they grow in gravel pits all over, you know, the place. They grow in poor conditions like they do. That's why I'm, when I was thinking that even though they're lime green, it might be the lacking of a little bit of iron. And because nitrogen is a little bit higher that's on there, it's probably not the nitrogen. I was thinking it was probably the cake. But you, you've sort of answered. Like we haven't even discussed or talked about this. But there are so many gardens that we plant things and things go to seed. And we cultivate our gardens so quickly that we forget that some of these seedlings do come up. And we think that they're weeds because we see all of this new little fresh greenery coming up. Right. It's, inter- it's interesting to take a look at what the seedling, for so- because never a plant never emerges as to their true leaf. They start with something else, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I would love to see a photo of your lupin bed. If you have a chance to snap a picture, then... Uh, Send it on to us. I would love to see it because I love lupins. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'll I'll dig one up. <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> I won't dig one up. I'll dig up a take photo. <laughs> take a take a picture. Don't dig one up. It's they're valuable. Once they are no, in the no, ground, you want to no. treasure those. <laughs> I have a, I have a dozen of them. So. <laughs> awesome. Okay. I have another question about a cherry tree. Okay. Uh, I don't know particular what variety it is. Whether it's Juliet or it's it's. They're they're fairly small. Okay. Uh, well, I guess yeah, fairly small, medium sized cherries. Um, and last year, my cherry tree, half of it wasn't doing well at all. It was turning really almost lime green, you know. So I gave it some iron. Clement, Clement, iron. Chelate, iron. Chelate, yeah, yeah, chelate iron. Yep. Now. Uh, this year, half of it again is is all out out green, and the other half, I don't. Eat, it might have some little 
buds ready to burst, but it's not doing well. So should I fertilize it? Should I give it some more iron? What do you think I should do? I would probably, well, when you have something that is in a sort of a, um, a waning state, encouraging growth and encouraging better, like giving it a little bit of a boost of vitamin is not going to hurt it. So, but I would be interested to see, um, take a look at the bark of the branches that are not doing well to see if there's any signs of scabbing or scarring or a discoloration on the branches. Okay, so that's one thing I want you to take a look at, okay? Okay. Because there, it could be a disease that's slowly working itself onto that tree, right? Like. So, but adding some chelated iron could be getting into it. That could help. Um, and there is another one where, do the leaves go yellow and then go black, or they just go yellow? Oh, I can't remember from last year. Um, honestly, no, I can't remember. Okay, take a look at the bark. See if there's anything that is happening to the bark, but definitely give it some chelated iron because the one thing that you want to do is if we find that trees and shrubs have less chlorophyll in their leaves, there's more chance of sun scald and then leaf burn. Okay, oh, okay. so it's not... Okay, I'm out looking at the tree. No, branches look great. Branches look great? Yeah. Okay. All right, give it some extra fertilizer and give it some chelated iron. Green it up so that it's not affected by the sun scald. Now, um... Should I do spikes? Yeah. Oh, spikes in the ground at the drip line would be very well uh, received on that. Okay. Okay. For fruit trees. For fruit yeah. trees. That, um, fruit trees, just like our annuals, think it, we're a short season. We're yeah. Manitoba. <laughs> we need to give as much nutrient and care and love to our trees and shrubs when they're going. Especially roses are heavy bloomers. Petunias or annuals are giving us so much production that we need to support them, okay? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Not, okay. not, not a problem. Okay. Great. All right. Thanks, Carla. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for yeah. listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal. Okay. okay. Have a good weekend. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. It is the May long weekend, and I am just envisioning everyone that's out there doing a little bit of gardening. It's going to be a warm weekend. The wind is giving a little bit of a gust that's out there. And when we spoke about plants being transitioned and sort of acclimating into the gardens with the sunshine, don't forget about yourself too, please. It is that type that if you haven't acclimated on a nice sunny day like this, Make sure you put your sunscreen on, all right? Just think of it as your chelated iron. You want to green it up, so you want to protect it. And occasionally, have a little sip of water or lemonade when you're working hard because you have to stay hydrated just like your plants. It's all about good care. And if you need to, if you're going like power planting this weekend, don't forget to give your body a little bit of a stretch in between. Raise those shoulders, stretch your back lift to the sky and take care too because your muscles aren't going to be having a great workout. Gardening is exercise. Gardening is great. It's that type of activity that you don't realize how many times that you do uh, lifts, stretches, moves. All right. Now, we spoke about different plants. I have this whole thing, and I want to go right back because we were talking about all this other stuff, but I want to talk to you about the apple magnets because the apple trees 
uh, if they're going to be coming to bloom, like your cherry trees and all that kind of stuff, you want to be able to uh, protect. And the one thing that people are sort of a little uh, despondent about is when they have these big, beautiful apple trees and you get, yes, you open up that big apple and all of a sudden through the white fleshy portion of it are these little brown trails. Now, it is a fly that is uh, resting and overwintering down below. So what you want to do is there's different types and different shapes of apple magnet traps. Uh, You can use it for your apples, your cherries, your blueberries. It's all your fruiting. So when your fruit tree, regardless of what it is, finishes or it's in blossom, the blossom itself is the beginning of the emergence of the fruit. And what you want to do is have these lures, and yes, your apple magnet traps are going to have a lure with sort of, think of it as like a pheromone that attracts that scent to have the insect go to it first rather than to the portion of your blossoms ending and your fruit production. You want to reduce that. You want to decrease that. And you want to attract it to the apple magnet trap so that you can have better fruit. All right? There's nothing more despondent than going to have it and you're seeing all this trailing stuff through it. Reminds me of mom. She'll usually find some that have trails through one side. We cut those off and into the other pot goes the good side of for applesauce, apple pies. Oh, apple crumb. Like, it's just... Okay, there's a theory here. I should have ate breakfast this morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we want to look after our fruit. And the other thing, too, is if you are using the apple magnet traps, make sure that you're not hanging them at the top of the tree because they're flying up or coming up from the bottom ground and then they're going in and targeting. So you want to hang them slightly below into it so that it is the... Um, magnet for it to go to okay i'm just giving you the reminders go to the garden shed get out the apple magnet traps if you need new lures go to your garden center they most likely sell the lure by itself and if you're out of the sticky paste that's on it um, even uh, your tangle foot paste will act as a sticky portion of it and just remember to all those huge blossoms of apple and cherry blossoms as they begin to fall Go out, put another layer of paste on because sometimes those little sticky balls do get quite colorful with some of the droppings of the petals falling down. It's just the course of what it is. So a little bit of care will make it ever more fruitful on that area. Now, the other thing that is kind of when we're talking about edibles and gardening, we know that we're putting our lettuce in, our our cabbage, our kale. Uh, Yes, tomatoes. Tomatoes galore. You're already thinking of it, and uh, as you're handling it, you're putting it in. Remember, too, a little bit of a tip. If you've got your tomato plants, you can remove the lower portions of the leaves gently. Don't strip them down and breaking the stemming. Get a little pair of garden shears, pinch off those lower branches of your tomato plant, and plant it slightly deeper. Sometimes in the garden center, they get a little tall because they're acting like soldiers in the pots beside its buddy, So you can plant it deeper and it makes a stronger stem. Now, if you haven't planted yet, take a look at your stem of your tomato. It's fuzzy, it's furry. Those are all potential roots that are going to help to stabilize and draw and create more rooting factors in there. More roots, better strength, 
better plant, better production. And don't forget, you need a little bit of marigolds or flowers for the pollinator. Else, there is the other portion of it too, taking the grandchildren with a little bit of a Q-tip and going from flower to flower. Yes, we did that with our pumpkins and our spaghetti squash last year. It's a little bit of education on pollination. So the flowers play a factor. Now, when we're looking at different things too, I know that we're going from one thing to another thing in our calls. I love and I appreciate all the calls because there's so much to talk about in gardening. Thank you for listening, everyone. And just remember, whether it's a vegetable or a tree or a shrub, the leaf structure is always great and there's always a favorite. On the out, listen to this. Rhubarb. If I was going to be a plant, then which one would I like to be? Perhaps I'd choose to be a weed or maybe some enormous tree. But I think I would pick rhubarb, a plant that is dear to my heart. We're similar in both ways, both bitter, sweet, and quite a tart. With that, everyone, have a great long weekend. Be safe. Have fun gardening. We'll be back next week at St. Mary's. Oh, we'll be here at St. Mary's, but we'll be back on the Lawn and Garden Journal. Bye-bye, everyone.